Good morning. My name is Ken Lotus, and this morning we're taking a break from the series that Pastor Peter has been taking us through in the book of Romans. And so our scripture readings this morning are from John's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel. If you'd like to follow along, now's the time to get out your Bible, or you can follow along on the screens. I'll be reading from the New International Version first, John 14, 11, and 12. <clears throat> Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Matthew 28, 18-20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ken. And good morning uh, once again. Thanks for making the decision to come to church today. Uh, you had a lot of choices on a beautiful day like this, and I think you chose well, so thank you for being here. Uh, this is a... Uh, an interesting service in that we have already been exposed to a couple of different ministries that are way outside the walls of this building. And if you're new here to Mercer Island Covenant Church, you need to get used to that because we work very hard to not be a church that is just inward focused. Uh, certainly we want to care for one another and love one another, do life together and grow in the Lord together. But we also know that God has a lot of work for us to do, and some of it is is way out there. Yvonne was here representing a work in Guatemala, and Linda was here representing some ministry that's going to happen in Indonesia, and I'm going to be talking about some more things later on today. But this is part of our DNA as a church, and I hope you'll get used to that if you're not already uh, fully aware of that. So I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about practice about about action about about doing about participation there was a guy by the name of Paul Reese who was a pastor and a and a theologian and he made this statement he said the orthodoxy that believes soundly without the orthopraxy that behaves soundly is sounding brass and tinkling cymbal what Reese is saying here is that we can believe all the right things. We can say, I believe this book. I believe this is the word of God. This is his revealed truth to us. I believe that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue me and to do for me what I could never do for myself. But Reese is saying that if we believe well but stop there, we're just making noise. We're just making noise. 
And so he goes on to say that, that there is an orthopraxy, there is a behaving well, there is a doing well that needs to accompany our believing well. That's God's design for the church. That's God's design for us today. So as we get into this message, this, these passages of Scripture today, I'm coming from the place of assuming that most of us here today are people of faith. We are people who believe. We are people who say, yes, we believe this is what God has given to us and revealed to us. Yes, we believe he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. But I also know that in a group like this today, there may be a few people who aren't at that place. And you say, well, no, no, not yet. No, I'm not quite there yet. And if that's where you are today, I'm delighted that you're here. And my request to you is that you just stick with me. And hopefully what you will see today is that believing well and responding well to that belief is actually a very exciting way to live. Dangerous at times, absolutely, but I don't think you really would want to be anywhere else. So stick with me and see if maybe God might stir something in you today. There's always a danger when we talk about doing when we talk about practice, as we will today. And that danger is this little voice that rings in most of our ears, certainly it does in mine, that says doing something for God earns us something from God. It's that little voice that says, if I'm really good and if I do these good things, then God is going to do some good things for me. I will earn something from God by what I do. And the problem with that line of thinking is it's heretical. It's completely contrary to the scripture where God reveals to us that he has already done for us everything. He has given us everything. He has promised us his love that never fails, that never changes. We can't earn anything from God. We can't do things to make him love us more. That's just the way God is. So we don't want to be believing that we got to do stuff to earn God's favor or to earn God's love for us. No, what we do, we do as a joyfully obedient response to what God has already done for us. Don't lose sight of that. God already did everything for us. We respond to that. We don't earn it, we don't gain it, we don't work for it. We respond to what he has already done for us. You know, we, we put the cross around at this church. It's here on the table this morning. It's, it's embedded in the wall back there. It's out in different places. And the cross reminds us of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Then God turns around and he invites us to be a participant in what he's doing in this world today. Imagine that. God's at work here and he invites us to be participants in that. And the more we get to know God, the more we should want to be closer and closer to the action. And he invites us to do that very thing. So that's just sort of my disclaimer as we get into these passages of scripture today. And, and let me just tell you, these two passages are difficult ones for me. 
These are passages that have sort of haunted me. And, and some of you know that, that, that Linda and I served as missionaries for several years, foreign missionaries. And these are kind of the classic missionary passages. And to hear me say that these passages have kind of bothered me and haunted me might get your attention. But, but honestly, they have. They've, they've, they've been troubling passages to me. And here's why. Look at the Matthew passage again just for a moment. Right in the middle of this passage where Jesus is talking to his followers, he's been with these guys for three years, now he's giving them this charge that that he wants them to take and run with. He says this to them in verse 19. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So Jesus says to his followers, and he says to us, because we're his followers, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And so I read that passage, and then I look around the room and say, wait a minute, we're all still here. If we took that seriously, why are we, what are we doing here? We should all be out in the nations, right? Making disciples, teaching. And that's always troubled me. Where's the disconnect there? The John passage actually troubles me even more. Because again, Jesus is speaking to his followers. And verse 12 says this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, and that would be most of us, we'd raise our hands, right? Oh, we believe in you, Jesus. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I read that passage and I look around and I look in the mirror and I say, I don't see it happening. Jesus, with a touch of his hands, would heal a person, would restore sight to the blind, raise the dead, feed thousands of people. And now Jesus says that if we believe in him, we're not only going to do that stuff, we're going to do greater things. And that passage has troubled me too. Hard to reconcile. What, why am I not seeing that? If that's indeed what Jesus had in mind, these passages have raised questions in my mind. The answer to the questions came to me in a most unusual setting at a most unusual time. As I look around this room today, I will say that the vast majority remember exactly where you were and exactly what you were doing on September 11th, 2001. I remember exactly where I was, where I was sitting, the TV I was watching when the second jet hit the Twin Towers there in New York City. Most of us remember that. It was a crazy time for us as a country. And our response to that was we figured out there was this guy, Osama bin Laden, that was probably behind this stuff. And he was over there in Afghanistan somewhere. So we're going to go get him. Put this coalition of military forces together. They went over to Afghanistan and they drove this group called the Taliban out of power. And they set about to search for bin Laden all throughout that area there. And we were watching it on CNN. It unfolded right in our very living rooms and stuff. And this went on for a long period of time. They didn't catch bin Laden quite as soon as they hoped they would. Six months after 9-11, Linda and I got the weirdest invitation we'd ever gotten in our lives. There was this tiny group of missionaries that had gone back into Afghanistan as soon as the coalition forces had driven the Taliban out. And there was a relative emphasis on relative measure of security 
in Afghanistan at the time. And these are missionaries that had served there. They had to leave the country when the Taliban was in power. And they were so anxious to get back in and get back to work. And they had been able to go back in. Now, you have to understand, in Afghanistan, you can't call yourself a missionary. You know, it's an Islamic republic. You go in as a doctor. You go in as a, an aid worker, a health worker, an educator, a pilot, whatever. But you don't go in as a missionary, so to speak. But these were people that were doing their work in the name of Jesus Christ in Afghanistan. And they got back in the country, and it was horribly difficult to work there. Conditions were deplorable, and they found that just living life, let alone doing ministry, was just kind of beating them down. Their marriages were suffering for it. And so they asked Linda and I if we'd come over there and lead them through some marriage retreats in Kabul, Afghanistan, six months after 9-11. So we talked to some of our friends, you know, get a little input, right? Don't make a decision right on the spot. And pretty much everybody we talked to said, you're crazy. Don't even think about it. Go somewhere else. Go to Africa. Go anywhere. Don't go to Afghanistan. But the more we thought about it, the more we realized, wait a minute. If we're willing to send our missionaries to difficult places and we'll support them while they're there and we'll pray for them while they're there. If we're willing to do all that, should we not be willing to actually go there physically when they ask us to and help them out? And we came to the conclusion that this was indeed a door God was opening for us. So we said yes. And we got all our visas and our paperwork and we flew off. We had to go to Pakistan and we spent a few days there and finally got on a little airplane and flew across the very areas we were watching on CNN every night. Remember the Tora Bora Mountains? That's where we were searching for Bin Laden. We flew right over the Tora Bora Mountains. The Khyber Pass, that route from Pakistan into Afghanistan to bring all this. We flew right over that. We thought, man, this is crazy. And we went into Kabul and landed there and spent the next two and a half weeks there with this really dedicated group of missionaries. We did two retreats for them and uh, just just tried to bless them as best we could and gave them some marriage encouragement stuff. But in between the two retreats, we had two or three days, uh, kind of a break. And one of my friends there who was a pilot said, hey, I got an extra seat on my airplane this day. I'm taking some aid workers out to a remote part of Afghanistan uh, you want to go along for the ride? You know, I'm always up for that. So yeah, absolutely. So I went along and I found myself seated in this little six passenger airplane next to a nurse. Now, I don't remember where she was from, but she was English speaking. I think she might've been from, from Britain. And so I was asking her, what are you doing here in Afghanistan? She said, well, I'm a surgical nurse and I'm part of a team of, of, of eye doctors, and we go around to these remote little clinics here in Afghanistan, and we do eye surgery on Afghan people who could never afford or have access to eye surgery uh, that actually restores their sight in some cases or saves them from losing their sight. Cataract surgery and all that kind of stuff. I don't really understand all that. And so I was asking her more about what she did, and she said, you know, the area we're flying over is so dangerous it would be impossible for me to go overland to these clinics. So I have to go in this airplane. The organization I work with will not allow us to travel overland because it's just, it'd be ridiculously dangerous. So we have to go in this airplane. And then I found out that this little team did about 850 site restorative operations every year in that one country, in Afghanistan, as they moved around from place to place. So I started processing this, and I realized, you know, this nurse belongs to an organization that has a pretty extensive support system back in her home country in, 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 in Great Britain. 
And there's people behind her that are doing work that allows her to come out here along with the rest of the team and serve the way they do. And then my mind went to the pilot who was sitting in front of me. I knew this guy. He was a missionary. He'd gone through extensive training. Dozens of people had poured into this guy's life to train him to go do the kind of work he was doing in one of the most dangerous environments on the planet. And then I realized he's got churches behind him. He and his family have churches behind him that are praying for him, that are supporting him, that are doing all kinds of stuff to help them out so that they could even be there. And then he's got tons of individuals who give financially so that he can be serving there because you don't make any money as a missionary in Afghanistan. And then I realized there was a mechanic back on the ground who cared for this plane and he had a bunch of people behind him. And by the time I'd done the rough math in my head, I realized... There's easily over 800 people that are backing up this one effort of this little team of surgeons and surgical nurses that are going and saving people's eyesight here in the country of Afghanistan. You know, when we read in Scripture, in the New Testament, the Gospels, that Jesus healed some people who were blind, how many times do we read that Jesus did that? Half a dozen Maybe 10, maximum 20. Jesus said, you're going to do greater things if you believe in me. And I just realized that there were over 800 people in this one country who were having their eyesight restored in the name of Jesus Christ because there were over 800 people who were willing to get behind them and make it happen. The conclusion that I came to is that the greater things and the going to the nations only happen when the whole church steps up, when everybody does their part. It wasn't a matter of one person having enough faith to go out and personally do the same stuff that Jesus did. It was a matter of a whole bunch of people getting together, making their unique contributions And 800 people received their eyesight in one year in one small country. Now, there's probably some skeptics out there today listening to me. And you're probably thinking, you know, Kevin, you're just kind of making a plan B here to make us feel better because we don't have enough faith to go out and do what Jesus did. And really, if we did have that kind of faith wouldn't take all that stuff. We'd just go out and we'd just be like a little Jesus everywhere in the world. You're entitled to your opinion, but I think you're wrong. Because Scripture tells us that the church is God's plan for today. It's not a matter of God having a plan A and we've sort of defaulted to a plan B. No, there is no plan A and there is no plan B. There's one plan, and the plan is the church. This is exactly what God wants to happen. His people coming together, doing their unique part to accomplish even greater things in the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus never traveled more than 100 miles from where he was born, but he sent the church to the entire world. Jesus might have restored the sight to one or two dozen people, But he's given us the command to do greater things. And we're seeing it happen when the entire church steps up. There's a pastor by the name of Bill Hybels. Some of you may be familiar with him. 
large church in the Chicago area. He wrote a book called Courageous Leadership. And in that book, he makes this quote. He says, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. I'll be honest with you. When I first read that in the book, it offended me. And I thought, no, you're wrong. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. It's not the local church. But I went on to read the book, and then I realized, okay, I, I really don't disagree with you. Because what Hybels is saying in the book is that the local church is God's design, and it's the place that God himself has become resident. And he's planted himself in our midst, and he said, this is where I work. This is where I'm going to accomplish my purposes. This is where I'm going to send people out. So, so the church is the hope of the world because God is in our midst. And the church is what God has designed and what God is building. You don't have to be around a church very long to figure out if they're active outside the walls of the building. And Mercer Island Covenant Church is one of those churches that is active. And we need to celebrate that here because there's a lot going on outside our walls. Because I think, for the most part, we get this and how God is working today. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, this first picture here is Nathan and Harmony Jansen, uh, children of this church here. Uh, many of you know them. They are serving in the country of Indonesia. They're in a small community called Marauke. And the last email that I got from Nathan here just a couple of weeks ago, he said that some of them had gotten together in this community of Marauke, and they have targeted the Islamic people in their community. Now, Indonesia is the largest Islamic country in the world, but it's sort of a moderate Islam, so the church can function there more or less uh, without persecution. In some places, there has been persecution. But for Nathan and Harmony and, and the team they're working with, um, to reach out to the Islamic community in Marauke is, is actually a very doable thing. And their team has set a goal that in 2013, they're going to see a hundred Islamic people come to faith in Jesus Christ and start the first ever church among the Islamic people there in Marauke. Greater things? Yeah, and we have a part in it. These are our people. These are our missionaries. We support them. We pray for them. We receive them when they come back from the field. We are involved in greater things in the nations through people like Nathan and Harmony. The second picture is the Wilners, John and Susan Wilner. Now, I've never met the Wilners before, but when I look at their picture, I just have to say, they're just pretty regular looking people. They probably put their pants on one leg at a time in the morning. And, you know, it could be the, the, the guy next door. John Wilner is the Clark Kent of Bible translation in Southern Asia. Mild-mannered, but he's got a huge S on his chest. This guy is shepherding 30 translations of the New Testament all over Southern Asia. He and his wife, they did a Bible translation when they were missionaries in Suriname with Wycliffe Bible translators. Clearly their gifting came out. They went over to Asia and they now live out of their suitcases as they travel around coaching, encouraging, teaching these different translation teams that are working in 30 different 
languages. If you combine the population of the people in those 30 different language groups that will benefit from the Wilner's work when these New Testaments are being produced, and they are as we speak here, it's 5.5 million people that they are impacting by bringing the Word of God into their language and putting it in their hands. Those are our people, the Wilners. Greater things? How many know how many Bible translations Jesus did in his day? How many times did Jesus translate the Bible into another language? None, zero. But he said, if you believe in me, you're going to do greater things. And as we team up with the Wilners, the Bible is getting into the hands of over 5 million people in southern Asia. That's what we're about here. Ivan Espana came up here this morning so that we could meet him. He's our guy in Guatemala. This next picture is of the students that we're supporting. There's 24 of them down there. 24 students whose education would have stopped at grade 6 had it not been for, for some folks in this church saying, we need to do something about that. And through Nicholas Fund for Education, every one of those kids now has the opportunity to graduate from high school and for those who have the aptitude and desire to go on to university. 24, it's not a very big number, right? But wait a minute. These will become leaders in their country because of the education. And it's a Christian education, by the way, that they are getting. Greater things? Going to the nations? Absolutely. And lastly, lastly, finally, free wheelchair mission. Now, this is something that, that many of you around here have heard of for several years. And because Mercer Island Covenant has been involved in this for several years, I can tell you today that there are 8,000 people in the world today who have moved from a horizontal life that means laying on the ground, laying on a mat, crawling from place to place because they can't walk, move from that life to a vertical life. Not standing, but sitting. They've got mobility now. They've got dignity now because they can move around from place to place. They're not stuck in the dark corner of a room because their family is embarrassed that they're crippled, that they can't walk, they don't have legs, or whatever the case may be. Mercer Island Covenant Church has either directly or indirectly facilitated 8,000 wheelchairs purchased, delivered, assembled, and, and people trained on how to take care of them around the world today. This is huge. Making a difference. Greater things. Going to the nations. And we haven't stopped. You're going to hear more about Free Wheelchair Mission in the next coming weeks. We're, we're full on to try to get more people up off the ground and give them that mobility. So I think the question that each one of us needs to ask ourselves is, what is my part? Where do I fit into this big plan that God is playing out in the world today? Well, here's a simple way of looking at it. Each and every one of us should be able to give a solid answer to the question, how are you taking the gospel to the nations or how are you doing the greater things that Jesus wants us to do? We should each have an answer to that question, a ready answer. Now, if your answer is, well, I attend Mercer Island Covenant Church, and when the offering plate comes by every once in a while, I throw a 20 in. 
And so I'm doing my part. Look, there's our missionaries. We're supporting them, and, and I'm participating in that. If that's your answer to the question, let me just say that's a good start. That's a good start. But that's really all it is because that's kind of weak. That's kind of weak because there's a whole lot more to be done out there. I don't know if you realize this or not, but they've done surveys. And here in the United States, the average person gives 3.5% of their income to all charitable causes. The numbers within the church are identical. That we're giving about 3.5% of our income to all charitable causes. Some of that comes to the church. Some of it goes outside the church. Folks, we're not giving a whole lot of money. We're really not giving a whole lot of money. Now, some of you are, but a whole bunch of us aren't. Okay, so if our answer to the question is, I put some money in the offering plate, I think it's time to get a little closer to the action. I think it's time to step it up so that each one of us has a greater answer than just that. And here's three that I'm going to give you this morning as I conclude. One of them is I would encourage you, if you have not done so already, to please adopt one of our missionary families. We support over 12 missionary families here at Mercer Island Covenant Church. And when I say adopt, I don't mean I want you to go home and build a mother-in-law suite on your house so they can come and live with you. No, no, no. All I'm asking you to do is, is get in contact with them. Get on their email list. If you're not receiving the email updates from at least one of our missionary families, that needs to change. I know some of you are. Some of you hear from several of our missionaries. That's wonderful. But how else can we pray for these people if we don't know what's going on in their lives? And every one of our missionaries now sends out these email updates. They're free. They're wonderful. They come relatively often. They're great reminders to pray. So if you're not connected with one of our missionary families that way, on your way out the door, grab one of those little papers on the table in the back that has a list of all our missionaries and their email addresses, countries they serve in, what organization they're with. If you want to know a little bit more about them, walk upstairs to the atrium, and there you will find their pictures on the wall and a little bio of every one of them. Choose one. Choose a family that's kind of the life stage with you. If you've got younger kids, choose a family with younger kids. Send them an email. Say, please put me on your list. I'm at Mercer Island Covenant Church, and I'd like to know more about your ministry. You'll make their day. You will totally make their day just by making that connection. And now you can pray for them much more intelligently. Every one of us should at least be doing that much. Second suggestion. Both free wheelchair mission... And Nicholas Fund for Education sponsor trips on a regular basis to go out to where the ministry is happening. The pictures you saw from the free wheelchair mission this morning, there were four of us from our congregation who went on that particular trip to help assemble and distribute the wheelchairs that we had sponsored from our church. Next time the announcement is made that there's a, a wheelchair mission trip coming up, don't just say, oh, that's for somebody else. Give it serious consideration. Could you go along? Could you help? Males and females both have gone on these trips from our church. Nicholas Fund for Education, twice a year. They have a trip to Guatemala. You can go and see the villages that we have supported. You can meet the children that we are sponsoring. You can find out other ways that you can be involved and be helpful. Take a week of your vacation time and head off to Guatemala on the next trip. Several of you need to do that. There's lots of people here who already have, and they'd love to talk to you about it, but you need to go on one of those trips. And finally, the third way that you can get closer to the action will be a great help to me. 
because I need several of you to step up and join the new global engagement team here at Mercer Island Covenant. You know that that we've changed our leadership structure here with our deacons, and then we had a missions commission that served us faithfully for decades, and several of you have served on that at different times. And we are transitioning now to a team, a global engagement team. A couple of the members of the old missions commission are going to come over with us to bring some continuity. But I need like four or five people who are willing to say, yes, I will join the global engagement team. What we do? We care for our missionaries. We, we look after them. We, we, we prepare stuff for them when they come here. And we've got an $80,000 a year budget for our missionaries. And I need help with that budget. I, I can't administer that by myself. I need a team. So if you'd be willing to even consider that, to even talk to me about it, please get in touch with me. My email is in the bulletin every Sunday. Send me an email. We'll get together for coffee. We'll talk and we'll see if this is something that God can use you in. But I'd like some people younger than me on the global engagement team. Okay, we've got a couple people that are older than me, and then I'm in the middle. I'd like some younger people to be on that too. Doesn't have to be all younger people and like a nice mix. But please consider doing that, and I just need to hear from you one way or another on that one. Let me conclude. Believing well is wonderful, but it's only a start. God's expectation is that we will then do well, that we will practice well. And that is not to earn or gain anything from God. It is nothing but our response to what God has already done for us. He invites us to join with him in the work that he is doing. And so please, my sisters and brothers, don't be satisfied with lesser things when God has created us for greater things. Let's pray together. God, I marvel at your graciousness and how you communicate with us in your word. That you haven't left us wondering. That you've revealed yourself to us, your son, your Holy Spirit. You've given us everything. And then you invite us to join you in the work that you're doing today. Bringing the gospel to those who have not heard. Bringing the blessings of the kingdom of God to those that are suffering so. Thank you, Lord, for those that are willing to say yes, either on this end or out on the other end, in faraway places. And God, I just pray that each and every one of us will indeed step into the role that you have for us and do it well so that we can see a huge increase in the influence that the church and this church has in this world today. Thank you, God, for your patience with us. Thank you for your love. And I pray that we would be responsive. In Jesus' name, amen.